Hello, Sam here. If you're listening to this episode the day that it drops, then you know we're just a few days away from the end of 2022. I hope it's been a good year for you, and whether it has been or not, I hope 2023 is even better. Deboki and I are so grateful to you, our listeners, for your support over the last year, which was the first year of Tiny Matters. This is our 25th full episode, which is very exciting and feels a little surreal. Thank you for all of your feedback and episode suggestions. And as always, tinymatters at acs.org is the best way to reach us. Okay, so I'm pretty psyched about today's episode, which is a conversation Deboki and I had with Latif Nasser. If you're a podcast listener, you know Radiolab, which means you probably know Latif. He's Radiolab's director of research and co-host, and also an exec producer and host of the Netflix series Connected, The Hidden Science of Everything, where he travels around the globe exploring the surprising and intricate ways in which we are connected to each other, the world, and the universe. It's a super fun show. Definitely check it out. Latif is also the exec producer of the investigative podcast The Other Latif. So it's fair to say he does a lot of things, which made us even more grateful that we could steal some of his time to chat. I knew Latif a little bit going into this conversation. I'd interviewed him about his Netflix series for something totally unrelated to this a couple years ago. And a few months ago, we were both on a panel together. I'm guessing that after listening to this conversation, you'll think, hey, that Latif guy seems so smart and nice and encouraging. And I'll tell you right now, that is 100% true. All right, I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> Let's get into Deboki and my conversation with Latif Nasser. Hi, Latif. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I see you are in the requisite closet, Sam. Yes. Yeah. Closet, storage, podcast recording studio. It's a one-stop shop. Right. For sure. Right. I feel comparatively so awful. I'm like, so I'm living in Norway for the moment. And so I've cool. like been dealing with trying to figure out how to record in these rooms that are like wood. Everything is like bare. The minimalism is like getting to me. <laughs> Audio wise, I'm still figuring it out. Latif, I, you know, Deboki is right there. You're chatting with her. But I was going to say, you haven't, although we have never met in person, we've talked a couple of times. Definitely, and, but, yes. But Deboki, I assume the two of you have, have not chatted no, at any point. No, I don't point, think so. so. Pleasure yeah. to meet you. It's nice to meet you, too. We're really, really happy that you're chatting with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. I felt so flattered by the invite. That's very nice. We're sure that our listeners will be excited to hear from you as a science person, as a podcast person. You're kind of like the perfect combo, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, um, yeah, it's like, like, like double nerd credentials. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. The more credentials, the better in, the, in that department. Although I will be doing a little Latif elevator pitch for you at the beginning of the episode, I was thinking that maybe the best place to start is with a little bit about what you do now, maybe yeah. starting with Radiolab. And sure. then there will be a lot of questions throughout, backtracking, things like that, if that's okay with you. But sure. you know, when I, when I think about uh, a really intricately produced show that finds this way of covering a huge range of topics in a way that's very interesting, even for topics that you might not immediately think, oh, I need to know about that. Right. I think of Radiolab. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what does being one of the hosts of Radiolab entail? And you're also the director of research for Radiolab. Is that Yeah, is that yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I feel like Radiolab, even though, I mean, in terms of podcasts, it's a big podcast uh, in the sense that we have a pretty big staff. But 
but still, I don't know. I, I think of it like if you were, if it was a company or something like, uh, or if it was a production company or, or, or something like that, like, it's like, it's not that big. Like everyone kind of does a little bit of everything. There's definitely people who are specialized, but for me, like what I do for the show thing I love most is I, I, I'm still kind of a reporter. Like I pitch stories, yeah. I report stories, I do that. And I've been kind of doing that since, uh, I've been there, which is like 10 years or something. Yeah. Or more. But then the other thing I do now, like for the last year or two, uh, in my role as as co-host, like I have more of an editorial voice on the show. Like I am the person who the reporters will come back with the all the stuff they've you know reported out on these, uh, as you say, like completely random and obscure topics, and they'll come and kind of kind of dish to me what they found sort of I'm I'm part of that I'm part of that process. So so I I've kind of always been part of the editorial of like oh like in the, in the early phase with the pitches and like oh what story should we do? What story should we not do? But now I'm kind of more involved throughout. So so yeah, so I'm I'm kind of reporting my own stories and then I'm kind of an editorial voice. I, feel, I almost feel like I'm a coach. Like like I'm yeah. I'm 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 mm -hmm. I'm partly a coach for the team um and just kind of helping everyone else along with their stories. And yeah, and helping them get into the world. What do you think some of the really important qualities of being a good host or for you, like you said, you're sort of like a coach, <laughs> a team coach or something. But are there certain maybe things that you think you're really good at or need to work on that you found are just so important for this audio environment? I love that you ask that in a way that's like totally neutral. It's like if if I had a friend who was a host of a science podcast, <laughs> if I did, like, and and they were, you know, they wanted to know about that, like, like on the off chance. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I I I might well ask you both uh, the same question. But um, for me, I think uh, one of the things that that Radiolab is sort of known for kind of from the beginning, well, first of all, we don't just do science topics, but, yeah. but even yes. when we do do science topics, like the fun is it's like, oh, let's smash together things from different realms of science or like, oh, this astronomer and this, you know, antibiologist are kind of asking the same question. So I think to me that that's like one thing I, I want to be able to do is to kind of make connections make connections that maybe and and especially because as somebody who you know like a lot of the reporters and producers i mean everyone's in on our pitch meetings we have meetings where we update everybody about all the stories but like as the person who's there and listening to every reporter as they come in from their wild and wonderful trips you know like uh, reporting trips all over the world and to different domains of science and here and there and the other, like to be the person who then gets to kind of and I'm working on my own stories and uh, you know and we all have lives and stuff but like it's like to try to make those connections like that's that's so fun um and I don't know if I'm great at it but it's like it's the thing that I I feel like that's at least a little bit of my value add like I'm like what what can I actually bring here it's like oh I'm not I'm not the one out reporting a story like okay so then if I'm not that person and I am just in the kind of host chair like what can I actually bring here and I think it's like Sometimes I'm just a highlighter. Like I'm like, great. Oh, wow. Amazing. That's so cool. Or huh? I don't really get that. Like, it's like, I'm just like a highlighter. But then on other, uh, in other cases, I think it's like, I'm a, I'm a connection maker. I'm like, oh, that reminds me of this other thing I heard in this other story that we're also doing right now that you would never have thought was connected, but actually in this really, really obscure, weird, specific way, um, it, they're about the exact same thing or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so that to me, and that's also the fun of the job. Like I, I, I really, enjoy I really enjoy and I mean you all do this too like you're kind of jumping from topic to topic all the time yeah. um and there's something kind of yeah there's something sort of fun about that but then also to be able to especially like you were doing now at the end of the year you're like okay what what did I even what did I think about this year like what did I talk yeah. about and what how does it all yeah is there a bigger picture or is it just one random thing after another yeah, because it does feel quite random at times. You're like, all right, on to the next one. And then you look back like, what happened <laughs> right. for the last six months? <laughs> sure, sure. And and then it's it's kind of weird like because this happens to us sometimes. I don't know if it happens to you all too, where it's like people will be like, wow, you really have this like, you're really fixated on this question about did such and such thing. And you're like, I am? Now that you've been doing this for like 
an extended period of time where you have yeah. like a body of work to look back on. Do you find yourself being drawn to particular connections or particular themes? Are there certain things that you've realized that you're especially interested in? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and some of them are really like, <laughs> like maybe obvious, like I'm really interested in poop. I'm so interested in poop. <laughs> uh, I'm really interested in nuclear weapons. Uh, like I'm just, hmm. I don't know why, like it, it, I, I'm not even totally sure why. And part of it is like, cause I, I had a, when I was in grad school, I had a friend who studied the history of nuclear weapons and like everything he ever said was the most interesting thing. And now like I'll forever be interested in nuclear weapons. Um, but th there are also kind of deeper things. Like I feel like when I'm looking for stories, uh, and there are particular stories that I feel like had this quality, um, like I did this story about this guy, Oliver Sipple, um, and that that was sort of what made me think about this thing, which was that like, I feel like I'm interested in stories where like, if there's a person who's in a situation that nobody else has ever been in, in the history of humanity, like, it's like, oh, wow. Like, like, and I'm, I'm like, I'm like, tr not that I always can get that, oh, but, but like, like, I'm like trying for that. Like, that's what I'm like. Uh, I'm like specifically looking for that. Or um, there's another thing, which is like. Um, I, I love stories where, and this is personally and kind of for the show too, I think, um, it's, it's, it's like stories where something very, very mundane that we all know that we all take for granted all of a sudden becomes reawakened. And like, you can, you, you, you hear something about your fridge or the weed in your driveway or, you know, some, some random, really, really mundane thing that you overlook, like every single day and 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 a story that'll make that thing come to life and that where you can't see that thing again the same way um and you you, you can't unhear that you know like those are kinds of stories i just i just love those um yeah and those are the things i'm just looking for constantly and it feels like poop and nuclear weapons would lend themselves <laughs> well to things that yes, once right. you know you can't unknow right right yeah, yeah. The stuff that's right under your nose, I love that because it it's, again, these moments of like, I will never see that thing that I never thought about the same way I'll actually notice it this time. Yeah. And this is a very kind of just very silly tangent, but it kind of, when you were talking about it, it kind of reminds me of the approach of certain comedians. I think of Jim Gaffigan, where he takes these like very simple things where you would never think about it, like a holiday, a hot pocket of, you know, like some yeah. just silly thing. And then somehow creates all of these jokes or stories around it where now like I can't go to a frozen a frozen food aisle see a hot pocket and not think about that joke anyways so no, I, th just, I think know. that's the I think that's the point that's the goal like I feel like there's there's sort of two I think about this at Radio Lab like there's sort of two things you can do you can either take listeners to a new place introduce them to a new thing that they've never seen before, a new place that they've never been, a new place that, you know, um, and it's like, oh, look at this new place. And and hopefully there will be something in that new place that, that reminds them of th their, their kind of normal life. Or you can do what is, I think, actually the harder thing, which is like, it's exactly what you say. It's like, take the thing that that is already familiar to them and make it unfamiliar. It's like going to the unfamiliar and making it familiar or going to the familiar and making it unfamiliar. Those are kind of the two yeah. moves. Um, yeah. And to me, I, I find the going to the familiar thing and making it unfamiliar. That's like, I don't know, that pays off so much more for me because it just, I see my fridge every day. And then it just, all of a sudden it's like, it's there. And I, I can't, I, I can't not remember that, you know? So you have this background. Um, you did, I think, your PhD in science history or history that's of science. Right. Yeah, that's right. And so I'm, I was really curious about how that um, affects the way that you investigate a story, how you approach telling it. And also, I'm really interested in how you approach um, reading the sources and kind of thinking about how the sources that you're looking at fit together with the story you want to put together overall. Yeah, it's funny because like when you ask the question, it's looking backwards. But when I lived my life, it was going forwards. So like mm -hmm. I... I I never thought about, oh, this a history of science degree would really help me become a journalist. So for me, I got really interested in the history of science because it was like, oh, here are stories about science. Like, I love science. I love the ambition of science. I love the questions of science. But I don't love like the like lab work of science and the mm -hmm. kind of um, the meticulousness. Like, I was just like, I, I, can't, I can't, I can't, my brain can't handle all of that. And, and then... 
I sort of took a detour. I was interested in theater for a long time. And then because I was like, I love stories, too. I really love stories. And then I was like, history of science. I can get stories about science. Oh, man, that's like that's it. That's like perfect. That's the, you know, peanut butter and chocolate or whatever. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I'm allergic to peanut butter. I don't know why I would make that. Oh, no. um, <laughs> so then I, I spent all this time in, in this field, the history of science. I really fell in love with the field. Um, but it what I constantly found frustrating was like everybody was dead. All these people were dead. Like I got so interested in these dead people's stories, but they were all dead. So I couldn't talk to them about it. Um, and and sometimes that was that was like it was fine because they had, as you say, like sources like you you have like they have diaries or letters or or autobiographies or this thing or that thing. And it's like you can sort of piece together, you know, to some degree who these people are and what they think. And then and then kind of the like partway through grad school, I was like, wait a second, there are other people who do this, but not for dead people, but for alive people like um, <laughs> and you can actually talk to them and they're called science journalists. And it's the same thing. It's like stories about science, but it's stories that are more present tense. And, and this was also like a big revelation to me, I feel like from the way that I was taught science when I was uh, you know, younger, where it was like. Like nobody, not now, not then, like nobody knows everything. Science isn't figured out. We're still all figuring it out. We may have like a, we may be, you know, an inch or two closer to the answer, but we're still like, we're still mostly clueless. Um, yeah. And so, so, so yeah, so, so it felt like, oh, okay. So I, those people back then were clueless about the things they're clueless about. And now I'm just going to talk to people who are now just clueless about the things they're clueless about, but they happen to be alive and I can talk to them. It's sort of very much the same thing. Kind of the medium is slightly different. The jargon and vernacular and the way of publishing, like telling those stories is a little bit different. Um, and I kind of prefer doing it the Radio Lab way. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, to me, I think it's it's, it's like a lot of the same skills. And, and in fact, maybe the one thing that I did pick up uh, doing history of science that has really helped me as a, as a kind of present tense science journalist is like just if the people are dead, having to be so resourceful and finding those sources, being able to like go into a library or an archive or, or online or wherever, and just like, just being like ultra finding tricks to, to find ways into stories that, you know, that might not be obvious to, to other people. So, so, so much of the time I spent in grad school, like I was in the library and, and developing those kinds of skills. Um, those have really helped me out a lot. So it's kind of the same work yeah it's like telling stories about science telling stories about people who are trying to figure things out but yeah now they're alive and even if they <laughs> are alive and don't want to talk to me maybe now i have some <laughs> tricks that i can uh you know that i can use to to sort of still find a way to tell that story but if you could interview a dead scientist oh my god be? <laughs> there are so many there's a huge lineup of them yeah uh right now if i just off the top of my head um one scientist i would love to interview would be, uh, do you know uh, Luther Burbank? Have you ever heard of Luther Burbank? Mm -mm. He's kind of like the Willy Wonka of fruits and vegetables. Like he, uh, he basically, <laughs> he just like, he would breed and cross all these different uh, fruits and vegetables and people mm. like, it was like magic. Like imagine seeing for the first time, like a, a, a cactus without, spikes or like imagine seeing like a seedless fruit for the first time like you'd be like the seed is the whole point of the fruit like what is what is, what even what this is a monstrosity like he was the kind of person who was just like he was like churning out all kinds of like fruit and vegetable crosses that people like like they dazzle people people put them on a par with like thomas edison and henry ford like he was like a he was a household name he was world famous uh for yeah. being this and the way he's most famous today is um the russet burbank potato which i think might be is that the one i'm not sure if that's the one that mcdonald's uses for their french fries um but most people mm -hmm. use it a lot but like that's his potato but um <laughs> but there's there's a lot of he, he's he's famous he made like a kajillion different fruits and vegetables um that nobody had ever heard of or seen before. That's interesting. I think that I remember this name. I remember this person, I think from Carl Zimmer's book about genetics. She has her mother's laugh. I'm pretty sure he goes oh. into a chapter on that. I love Carl Zimmer and his writing. I don't remember, uh, but it may, may well be Luther Burbank may well be in there. And if anybody, yeah. I'm sure Carl Zimmer knows far more about Luther Burbank than I do. <laughs> um, so, it sounds like, well, B, 
because you said it, like you love the audio medium now. Have you always, when you first were working with Radiolab? Because like you mentioned, you've been a co-host now for, is it three years? Uh, Two? Yeah. Time is such a, (laughs) I don't know. I have no idea. But something like that, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So Um, there were many years leading up to it where you were not. Were you kind of always focused on that as some sort of end goal or just goal or did you kind of just fall into it a little bit yeah so it's funny because like all the people so many people i work with uh and i don't know if you two have this feeling as well which is like um are like oh i grew up listening to public radio i love audio like it's so important to me (laughs) it's so like and they have these like beautiful poetic things that and i i subscribe to none of that like i like i'm like oh okay (laughs) Uh, like to me i think i think to me, the thing is about story and uh, it's like like kind of and like I, I made a show for Netflix. I've written, done stuff in print. I've done stuff. Yeah, in, we're gonna, I want to talk to you about that. after. Sure. We'll, we'll but to me, I, I think kind of in general, it's like it, all these mediums are more similar than they are different. Like you kind of want the same thing, whether you're picking up a novel or reading a tweet thread or, you know, watching a blockbuster movie or, you know, whatever it is like you kind of we all kind of want the same things out of stories. Um, mm-hmm. And it sort of doesn't matter what form they take. I mean, it does, but it doesn't really. Um, yeah. And so the thing that actually drew me to audio was was Radiolab specifically. Like, like it was it was I, I heard this show, and I wasn't like, oh, audio is so great. Like it was it was the first one of the first podcasts I ever heard. And the thing that drew me to it was like, oh, they're telling science stories that I like that are profound, that are original, that I haven't heard anywhere else, but that are also like funny and poignant yeah. and and powerful and asking big questions but also making really dumb jokes like it, it just felt like i was like whoa what is this and it felt like it really chimed with my sensibility um and so i became a kind of a fan of the show that way and then and then i like soon after because i i i first heard the show when i was a, a grad student studying the history of science and and I just called up. I like basically cold emailed and then called the executive producer, um, Ellen Horn. And I was talking to her about one of the stories that I was, you know, writing about uh, uh, that something I was writing about that they had also done an episode on that I was really interested in. But then also I just started pitching her stories. I'm like, oh, there's this great story. There's this great story. There's this great story. Because I was like, I want to hear your take on it. How are you going to do it? Like, what what <laughs> yeah. would you do with this great story? So so I feel like I got pulled into the world of audio through. Radio Lab, and that's what's keeping me kind of here in a way. Not that I dislike audio or anything. I, I love. There's so many people who are making stuff that I love. But like to me, I'm kind of. It's like equal opportunity. Like there's so many. There's so many great docu series. There's so many great magazine writers. There's so many great. There's so many great everything. Like, um, and and I want to try it all. Uh, yes. but um, uh, yeah, and maybe some stories sort of they're if you tell it this way in this medium because it's more visual, it might pop more or if you tell this one this way because it's not visual it might pop more or whatever it is but like to me i don't know i'm not like precious about audio um and i i I, I could be like like (laughs) there are things about it that are very beautiful that if you want me to wax poetic about it i could wax poetic about it but like but in general like i kind of feel like all these mediums are more are more similar than they are different and Mm. and the things that matter are a good story a good character a mind blowing kind of perspective shift, uh, you know, like a fun, surprising plot twist. Those things sort of matter more than whether you're hearing it or reading it or, or whether it's, you know, beautifully shot or, you know, whatever, wherever else. Yeah. I I actually have a a question about that relates to you pitching stories. So there was an episode of I think it was the long form podcast that I listened to a while ago that you were on. And I remember being struck by this one thing that you said about how the hardest thing for you, at least when you were being interviewed, you said the hardest thing for you is oftentimes deciding what not to pitch because you find everything interesting. And that is definitely my, my personal issue where (laughs) I feel like I'll find so many things. I mean, this is why I did my PhD in academia, right? Like I, I did my PhD in biomedical science and I said, there's no way I can choose a niche because I like everything. And then I went into science journalism because I could talk about everything, but still I take it a little too far at times. So how do you personally (laughs) pare back when you have a billion ideas? (laughs) That's I'm, uh, that is still very much my problem. 
it's sort of a problem in several stages. Like I'll find something the other day. Like I found this like random report that the Department of Transportation made in 1977 where they like predicted the future of transportation in this country. And I like found it. I'm like, this is so interesting. Like they were so <laughs> wrong. And it's so interesting how wrong they were. So then I'm like, okay, first of all, it's a thing I find interesting. Should I pitch it? Or like what what form should this take? Like is this a is this an episode of Radiolab? Is it multiple episodes of Radiolab? Is it a, a short film? Is it a tweet? Is it a just a random thing that I just will tell my friends, but it'll never be uh, something more than that? Like, like to me, it's like, oh, like, is this a thing? Um, and and even if it is a thing, like, what kind of a thing is it, or how big yeah. of a thing is it? I, I constantly have that question, and and basically, I am very lucky, especially at Radiolab, to have kind of ruthless editors like we have and 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 sometimes we call them like dream killers dream killers is what <laughs> no, the I'm way i kidding. would put it that would be my framing um sort of like curmudgeons in residence you know yeah. and it's like they're the you ones need them, though. <laughs> you need them you need them especially if there are people like us who are like oh everything is interesting you're like no actually not everything is interesting. right I'm so yeah. sorry to break the news and what's great is like there are people who they do not humor me they really do not humor me. Most often it's our, our like senior editor and like there, there are sort of other people on staff who sort of play this role at different times where it's like, yeah, they're like, nah, I've heard this story before. Nah, it's too similar to this other thing that I, nah, it's not that interesting. Ah, what, like, why is that surprising? Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm not interested. Cause you only have so much time. You only have so much, uh, you know, and it's like, so just why not just do the best things? Uh, why not just do the things that everybody agrees on? Um, yeah. So anyway, but but I, f I feel like it's that dynamic. So in a way, I can be hyper specialized in the like, let's find every possible interesting thing. Like It's like I'm throwing up the what are those things, those skeet frisbees, and then someone else is like shooting, shooting down the boring ones. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and that's good. Like, and that's good. That's like a healthy ecosystem. Now, for your show, where it sounds like you don't have you have to be both of those people yourself. Um, uh, that's a much harder thing. And and for me also, like, and I, I do this too for projects I do outside of Radiolab. Like, my wife is that person. My friends are those people. My parents are that people. Like, it's like, you just, I'm just constantly telling stories yeah. to everybody and like gauging every little facial movement or question or, and probably reading way too deeply into them about like, is this interesting? Is this actually surprising? Yeah. Or is this, are you just, are you, are you like, are you saying this is surprising, but it's not really surprising or is this actually surprising? Um, yeah. I do that I to strangers too. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. I was going to say, I send a lot of Slack messages, not, not just to Debogi, but other people people who are like in productions as well. And again, also, yeah, my husband, any friends or family who will listen to me. Yeah, I think you just kind of find people. And I find a lot of people who will I know will say, yeah, Sam, that's I, I truly could care less about that. I don't care. Those what. people are worth their weight in rubies, you know, <laughs> like uh, like I, I really and, and to me also, it's funny because like I feel like I've tried doing that over Slack and, and I can't like I. I'm just paranoid that they're humoring me. Like, and so like, I'll mm -hmm. literally, I'll like need to like pin someone down in person or even on a video <laughs> chat or whatever. And like, and I need to watch their face as I tell them <laughs> the thing. It's a big thing. I'm going to invest like maybe months of my life or whatever yeah. on this story. Yeah. Um, it has to really be good. And it has to be a thing that like the way that Robert Krolwich, who is one of my mentors, who is a former Radio Lab host, he would tell to me, it's like, it's like you're making a bouquet. Um, and so you're picking all these flowers and then you see another flower and you look at the bouquet you already have and you're like, is that flower prettier? Or is this flower pretty? Like, what if I, if I put, if I, I can, I can pull this one, but then I have to like, which of these flowers, you know, and so, you, so you're doing this kind of like sussing out, you're doing this kind of like triage evaluating of like, okay, what is the thing here that is actually worth my time? And the thing that like, that I most want to get on the roof and sh shout about from the rooftops, because I think it's like the thing that I want people to hear more than the other things, you know? Yeah. Well, and when we started out, um, you were, we were talking about how you've kind of made this transition into being in more of this coachy kind of position compared to before. So have yeah. you found yourself having to be some version of a dream killer now that you didn't have to do before? Yeah. Yeah, I, I am. It's funny. I, I, I do, I do have to take that role in a way and I'm too, I'm not great at it. I feel like I'm still developing my, my, my skills at that. Also, it's sort of proportional to, how well it's proportional to the relationship that you have with that person, you know, mm -hmm. 
Um, especially if it's someone who you don't know that well, or especially if it's someone who's less experienced or an intern or this person or that person, like you, you have to be much more careful because it's like it sort of your, your, your dream killing can, you know, can, uh, can actually like kill a dream, not just for a story, but for people's sort of self-esteem and, and, and yeah, like, I don't know. So you, it's like, it's a very careful thing you got to do. Um, and, but it's, it's still a necessary part of the process, I think. I feel like in grad school, my <laughs> dreams were killed so frequently that by the time I got to science journalism and someone said, oh, I, I'm not interested in that pitch or that's not interesting to me, I was like, okay. And then I would just move on to the next one. So that has helped me, I think. That's the way that it happened to me too. Like that first time when I called the that executive producer Radiolab, like I pitch on the phone. I must have pitched a dozen pitches on the phone right there the first time I had her because I was like there's no way I'm getting this woman on the phone ever again I'm going to just tell her like here's here's 12 pitches I just like rattled them off um and she rejected every one of them um and then and then I did it again like we did that several times um and 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 so I like I I did get rejected a lot and then you have to kind of build a thicker skin about it but it's interesting now because it's like is there a way to do that that isn't so painful at first. Is there a way to do that that doesn't require someone to run into a brick wall 50 times, you know? So I do want to make sure that we talk about your Netflix series, Connected, before I let you go. And it's interesting because I almost interrupted you earlier, Latif, when you just kept saying, connection, connection, connected. I was like, oh, I could just get, (laughs) yeah. Um, But it seems like with Radiolab, you're mm-hmm. always trying to make these connections. Was that sort of one of or the driving force behind the creation of Connected, the Netflix series? Yeah, yeah. I think to me, like that that was definitely kind of just because uh, by the time I made that show or we're starting to kind of uh, cook up that show with my um, collaborator, Eric Osterholm, uh, who I made that show with and the production company, uh, they're called 0.0. But like, as we were kind of like cooking that up, that idea, it, it was definitely like something that I was drawing on. It was like, I'd already been a science journalist for, for years at that point. And, and I was like, Oh, this is the refrain that you hear. Like, it's always, it's always so much more connected than you anticipate. And so that was sort of in some way, part of it. Also part of it was, um, so one of my, and I'm not alone in this. I think um, one of my favorite procrastination tools is Wikipedia. Like I just, I just hang out on Wikipedia. I just jump around and noodle around on Wikipedia. When they came to me, this production company, and they were like, "Okay, we want to like reinvent the science show. Like we want to do a whole new thing that nobody's done before." And do you have any ideas? Um, and so, in a way, the the kind of the genesis of that, like the the whole structure of it, is. Okay, we're going to tell six seemingly disconnected, seemingly disparate stories from totally different places around the world, different fields of science. It's going to feel like you're on a Wikipedia jag where you're like you're going here and then you're like, huh, that what about that thing over there? And then you jump and it feels disconnected. And then and then at the end, it'll feel like even after you do six lily pad jumps. um, Oh, wait a second. It paid off in a whole way, a whole big way that you didn't sort of see coming. And that was the kind of like genesis of it. And, And so in a way, it came from like. Yeah, years of science reporting, but it also came from like years of just like noodling around on Wikipedia and being like, this is pleasurable. This is so much more pleasurable than like a science lecture. It's just a kind of a hop, 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 hop. And then, huh, there's it all means something, you know? Yeah. And you got to um, take on some of your favorite topics, right? I mean, you covered nuclear weapons. Poop and nukes. (laughs) Very much did. Yeah, exactly. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And that was that was so fun. Like it was it was so fun brainstorming for that show. Because everything really is connected. Like there's this yeah. beautiful concept, which I don't know, maybe you had heard of, but I, there was a professor of mine in grad school who was obsessed with it. Um, his name's Hisa Kuriyama, who I, and I think about things he's told me every day. Um, and he told me about this thing called Indra's Web. And it's this idea of this of this web, this giant web that all things are sort of in this web. And at each node of like a, like a, like a spider's web or something. Um, and at each node... Uh, of the spider web, there's like a like a jewel. If you look really closely at the, at any one jewel, what you see are reflected in it in its facets. You see every other jewel in the web, mm-hmm. um, and I it's like that. that is so beautiful to me. And yeah. and and I really do feel like it's like the world in a grain of sand kind of idea. Like it's like everything is in everything. 
again, back to the problem you were saying before, like then how do you choose which thing to do? And so for me, it was like, okay, poop, like poop is the thing. Um, <laughs> but really it was like, a, it was just this liberating thing where I was like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to try a few things. Like, let's see what happens. Yeah. It was a joy. It was a joy to work on that show and, and kind of that, that spirit, that th- kind of thesis, the thesis of the show, which is connected, like it's in the title. It's like everything is connected. I think that's like a really beautiful and powerful kind of idea. And it's like maybe a cliche idea or maybe it's a, like an obvious idea, but it's still a very, very powerful and beautiful idea that I think, um, yeah, like I'll never get tired of. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's hard to, right? If if you really, if the opportunities feel limitless, how could you really get tired of it is sort of how right. I feel about science right. in general, right? But um, yeah. so about Connected or your experience on Connected, yeah. um, do you feel like being on camera made you appreciate audio more or did yeah. you develop mm-hmm. an itch for doing more video work or both, maybe? Both, both, <laughs> both for okay. sure. Um, it made me value, well, first of all, because like, I mean just watch me. I'm like the dumb, I'm like a doofus on camera. Like I'm just like nodding and like, no, 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 but that's fine. Like you are allowed to think not, but like it's (laughs) like, like you watch yourself and you're like, Oh my, of course I'm, I do radio like um, like it, it just seems absurd, like the way I nod and the way I like. Uh, yeah, I do really weird um, things with my hands yeah. and totally, arms on camera totally. so when I'm standing. Like same. my arms are all of a sudden like this. And like, what is ha- yeah. put them down? Like, what are yeah, you doing? Totally. And I'm like, like, I'm not a TV person. Like my teeth are crooked and my like, it's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> like, I'm not a TV person. It's OK. But um, so that was one thing. Um, but the other thing I was like, oh, but the trade off of that is like, you get to see these people's faces, uh, uh, who I'm talking to. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Like, I really like that. But actually that was a thing that made me value audio. And here's a way I can wax poetic about audio if you want, which is like, it made me realize how valuable it is to not see somebody. Our eyes are so judgmental. Like you just mm-hmm. the very first frame of a person sitting in their office or or whoever they are, like you kind of already have sort of projected forward. Like, I know what this person is going to say. Like you kind of already make all of these assumptions about who they are. And and then you realize, oh, wait a second, like audio, you can like sneak in anything like you can you can make people care about people maybe they they would have otherwise written off. You can make people you can make things feel surprising Halfway through an interview, you can you can be like, oh, actually, could you just tell me, like, well, how did you get that weird lamp in the shape of a croissant or something? But it's like it's like <laughs> it's been in the room the whole time, but you didn't know. And all yeah. of a sudden, that's a surprise. Like, there, yeah. there's, whereas on on camera, that wouldn't be a surprise or, or you yeah. have to frame it in a way to make it a surprise. But like, I don't know. There's just certain things that you're like, oh, audio has has a lot going for it. Another thing is that the the way that these shoots happened, like the interviews were so much more contrived in a way where it was like, okay, we're going to interview the scientist, but the scientist is actually in Cape Verde and the discovery was made in Portugal. So we're going to have to fly the, and we need the background. So we need to fly the scientist to Portugal um, to do the thing. Um, But the uh, setting in Portugal, we only got the site permit for this amount of time. And then also the sun is in this location, but it's only going to be here for another 15 minutes. And and we've been saving it so you can meet this person for the first time on camera. Um, And so, okay, so, so now go, you're about to talk to a scientist who you've never met, um, who's, you know, because they're a scientist and scientists don't get interviewed on camera that often. Um, uh, it's, you know, they're super self-conscious about being on camera, whatever we get in these 15 minutes, even though we've flown all over so many of us halfway across the world just to do this. We only have 15 minutes to do it. Okay, go. Um, so that versus a radio lab where it's like, yeah, set up, like maybe send someone a mic or get them in a studio or whatever. And then it's like, okay, like uh, the thing we say at radio lab is like tape is cheap. Like just talk, 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 talk. It's fine. So the difference between that, where you can sort of talk to someone in a studio at some point when you're talking to someone in, in audio, uh, we've had this experience. I don't know if you've had this experience too. Like the microphone sort of fades away. And then at some point you're just kind of, it's like a phone call or something. It's like, you just sort of are talking to people and then it can get conversational and fun the camera never fades away the camera is always yeah. there people are so self-conscious you feel and it you feel, you feel it, it. Yeah. yeah it's like it's like you feel it's like judge again judgmental 
doing that show and I want to do more TV. I want to do more like on camera stuff, but, but, uh, but it really made me value audio so much. Uh, and I'm like, Oh, I'm so lucky. I didn't realize how lucky I was. Yeah. Actually the, one of the first things that a lot of people ask when I'm interviewing them for podcasts is they, they make sure that no video. the, the video is not being recorded. Wow, so, you know, of course we have it on and I say, oh no, don't worry, not recording video. It's just to make the conversation flow a little more easily yeah. so that I don't cut you off or you don't cut me off or whatever it might be. Right. And they're like, whew, breathe a sigh of relief. Okay, now yeah. let's do this. And then it just immediately, it's like a wall comes down. Yeah. It's also so much harder for women, people with disabilities, people with minorities, like there's so many different kinds of people who I feel like there is that there's a kind of like extra layer of like the visibility visibility like it it, it kind of it, it attracts a lot of other negative stuff that you yeah. like. And, and, and so, yeah, that's a that's a real thing. And, and and people are all really excited about like if you if you ask them like to talk about themselves and their work and, and people tend to be really excited. But like, yeah, there, it's it's a lot different if you're filming them or if you're just if you're just taping them. I was having this weird epiphany because I was going to ask you like the experience of like um, watching yourself on video versus audio. Like a lot of people, you know, you have that self-consciousness. You have to like get over editing your own voice. And I was like, mm. just also realizing like as someone who started out with YouTube, I'm like mm. in this weird opposite situation where I'm actually much more comfortable hearing my voice if it's attached to my face. Uh, so funny. I can watch a YouTube video of myself so but I have a really hard time because I do podcasts and narration stuff where like hearing my disembodied voice makes me so uncomfortable in a way that seeing it attached to my face does not. Did you edit your own YouTube videos? Yes. And I was very bad at them, especially when I started. So <laughs> it was, it was a very cringy experience. Oh, like cringy, cringy at the beginning or cringy every time? I think now that I've gotten so used to it, I'm like, eh, it's all good. <laughs> like, I know that this right. is the way that I am on camera. Um, but the first few times, especially like you're so self-conscious with the camera where you're like, it's there. <laughs> and then yeah. I'm looking at it and like also just feeling self-conscious about filming a YouTube video to begin with, like getting right, past right, that right. initial like hurdle of like, I'm going to put myself on the internet in this way um, right. where it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. Did you did you do it by I feel like I know people who do it like one way they get over that is just by dissociating like you're like, OK, this is I'm Latif, but that's like that's Latif, the character yeah. like Jad, Jad, my again, my like mentor and former Radiolab uh, colleague, like he would do his notes and he would like be like, J.A. is like really over the top at this moment. Jad Abumrab, that's him. Um, but he would talk about it as if it's another person and he would just kind of dissociate. And then he and then he could like be more critical and objective about his own um, or at least that's the idea or hope. Um, but do you di would you dissociate like it was like another person or you still knew it was you? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think I have. I think I got pretty used to the idea that that was like me, which I think is part of what is uncomfortable about hearing the disembodied voice. Yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. something about that that feels like a different character, but in an uncomfortable way. Whereas like me, myself, the thing that's interesting is like comparing it to times when I've done um, YouTube series where I'm directed. I feel so much more like that's where I get like so self-conscious both about right. filming and watching because I can tell that I'm performing myself in a different way than I'm used to when I'm doing it for my own YouTube uh -huh. channel. And it's so it's such a weird experience. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. So Latif, other than I mean, I think I feel like there's so many things that you might do that I'm just completely unaware of um, work-wise. <laughs> but, you know, you have, of course, Radiolab connected, but then you also have the podcast, The Other Latif. And it's just the one season, correct? Is there? Yeah, okay. that's right. Okay. That's right. Well, we're, we're, yes. Okay. It, <laughs> as of now, it is only okay. one season. Okay. Do you mind just giving listeners a brief synopsis yeah, of sort of sure. what it's about what's your connection to it what's your interest yeah it's sort of so different from all the other stuff i've ever done um and like we spend this whole time talking about science journalism and that's kind of I, like i think of myself in that in that way um and then what happened was it was literally right on the cusp of when donald trump was being inaugurated in 2017 i found out on twitter through this kind of weird coincidence that there was a 
a, a guy detained at Guantanamo Bay who had my exact name, uh, first and last name. And in fact, he had his first name was sort of a compound name that was a compound name of my first name and one of my middle names. And I was like, what? That's so hmm. weird. Like it felt so specific. I was like, and I'm, and I, nobody ever has my name. Um, and, and it, it just felt so weird. I know that feeling. Yes, exactly. Right. I don't, um, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, um, yeah. And then I just got curious about this guy and he had been at Guantanamo for at that point, something like, um, 14 or 15 years, uh, and I just, I was like, I, who is this guy? And nobody had really done any stories about him. Uh, and I, I just need, I was like, who is this guy? I want to know everything about him. And sort of what I found initially through leaked DOD, like dossiers on him and stuff was like, he was like a, a really, really like a, a kind of the top explosives expert for Al Qaeda. He was like a really bad guy. Um, and I was kind of shocked by that. And then I got in touch with his lawyer. Um, and she said, no, 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 like none of that is true. He was never in Al Qaeda. Um, he, he, like it's, it's all completely made up and he has never been charged, never had a trial. He's just being put away for 15 years based on nothing. And so that kind of started, a like a three year journey, um, with where I, along with, um, uh, the producer Susie Lechtenberg and uh, the producer Sarah Kari, the three of us kind of just got obsessed with this guy and tried to figure out like who is he um, and what's his story and how did he wind up in Guantanamo um, and did he do any of the things that they said he did or not and in a way he became this lens to to see through kind of the, the whole history of the war on terror uh, Guantanamo Bay, what happened there, why, how it happened, how it happened the way that it did. And yeah, it was a very, very sort of powerful, it was, it's one of, it's, I think easily, you know, uh, one of the most personal things I've ever done. Uh, and then, so then we came out with it as a mini series at six episodes. And when we released that mini series, uh, he was still in Guantanamo. Um, and then, uh, that was in 2020. And then last year in 2021, um, he got out and, and like, like nobody gets out of Guantanamo. Like it's yeah. very hard to get out of Guantanamo. Um, and so he got, he got out, they sent him back to his home country of Morocco. It took me kind of a sign. I like, I'm used to science reporting. Like I'm used to being interested in a paper and then I call up a scientist and they're like, okay, I'm so excited you want to talk to me here. Let me tell you all about this paper. Yeah. Um, this was more like trying to pin down um, people in the military, uh, people in the intelligence community, uh, former, you know, alleged supposed terrorists. Like, like it was kind of like national security reporting. And I had never done anything like that. Yeah. It was really, really hard. Everyone wanted to talk to me like, off the record or on background or this thing or that thing, like finding these little combing through legal documents, trying to like, it was so different than everything that I was used to. But in a way I was just so, I don't know. It just, it like hit me in this personal way where I was like, this story literally has my name on it. Like I have to do this story. And it sort of like that fire kind of drove me through all of these seemingly, you know, like getting all these legal documents. Like I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, the three of us didn't like, we were like a, you know, little unit from a science podcast, but like we, we, like we really did our best. And I think we did, we did reporting. I'm like really, really proud of. Yeah, that's great. And it sounds like maybe you can't say or can like that there might be potentially more to come. Yeah. I've been <laughs> trying to interview him. He, since he got out, I've still never heard his voice. Okay. Uh, that was my next uh, question. So like, <laughs> yeah. 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 So I'm trying, I'm trying, uh, to, score an interview with him he's not talked to anybody since he got out um and it's a very very hard transition after being he ended up being in there 2002 to 2021 uh so 19 oh, years wow. um and that's a really really hard transition yeah. back uh so he he's been kind of transitioning and i i'm kind of like leaving it to him like in the way yeah. in which he wants to engage the way he wants to talk publicly, make his story public. Yeah. Uh, 
And so there's kind of like very delicate conversations going on around that. But uh, yeah, that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah. You talked about the, um, the practical, like it being like in practice, really difficult to do compared to science reporting, but it also sounds like there's, um, a set of like emotional and ethics, ethical stakes attached to it as well. That yeah. is, is there in some science reporting, but not in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm doing, I'm doing to these guys like I did and, and, and hopefully will continue to do in a weird way. Um, kind of the same things their torturers were doing to them, which is like asking them questions about their lives and their past um, and following up, like asking follow-up questions. And, you know, one of the other kind of former Guantanamo guys who I've, I've kind of gotten to know is um, uh, Mohamedou Salahi, who's like incredible. Like I think is a is a Mandela level person, you know, like, like one of these like incredible, incredible people um, and interviewing him. Like he, he confessed, he's like, every time I talk to you, it is physiologically difficult for me to talk to you. Um, and it hurts me to talk to you and I still want to talk to you, but it, it like, it like hurts a lot. Um, and that's like, that's not, that's, that's very different from, you know, talking to a scientist about like a press release, like that they put out, you know, like it's, it's like, it's a totally different dynamic. Like it's so delicate. And, and so like, we're trying to do this, but not in a, in a kind of like extractive, uh, careless way. Right. Right. It sounds, yeah. I mean, it sounds like the approaches, um, it's very thoughtful, which is, uh, essential, right. In these kinds of situations. So, well, I do, I do really hope that you have the opportunity to talk with him because I would love to hear what he has to say. Yeah, me too, man. I, I, I'm with you there. Like I, I'm so, I have no idea. He listened to the series. I don't really know what he thought about it. Um, yeah, I, I, there's a million questions I have for him. Like I, I, I'm so he's 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 on the Luther Burbank level of uh, like if I could talk mm-hmm. to anybody, who would I want to talk to? Yeah. So lots of unless there's something specific that we didn't ask you about that you want to talk about, I'll ask you a question. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is because no, because we're 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 colleagues. We're working in the no, same great. in the same great. little zone here. Which is like, well, first of all, just in general, like like from your POV is there is there anything that you're you're learning or you're looking around and thinking about that you want to share with us and or like and in particular the thing I'm thinking about because like I and this is a thing I think about a lot and maybe you all have better I don't know some wisdom here um, which is about kind of the like which I think you know COVID made obvious in this field uh, uh, like this kind of this question of misinformation disinformation truth how do you how do you be honest build trust how do you do all of those things i don't know do you all have thoughts on any of these big things not to put you on the spot but like like i don't know i, I these are things i think about all the time and and you all are doing kind of what we're doing in parallel and maybe you have thoughts about them i'm trying to narrow down into <laughs> into something <laughs> yeah no obviously yeah, yeah. obviously there's a there's a six part uh uh mini series yeah. here you could you could do yeah. but like i'm i'm just wondering but just in a practical way, like that it's like, oh, here's a little thing that we've been doing that's like, actually, it's really, it it changed everything that we did this little thing and it, it made a huge difference. I don't know. I would say that Deboki, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we've been having more conversations about um, sort of transparency surrounding things that we absolutely don't know. And, and mm-hmm. not just transparency, but actually including those things in episodes. I think, mm-hmm. you know, kicking things off and thinking about a narrative driven podcast and sort of you want to connect A to B to C to D and kind of like wrap it up in a nice bow. I that was my initial approach creating this podcast. Yeah. And I think that that has shifted just ever so slightly, but I become more and more open to the we don't know, even though I've mm. always known that I don't know. Just being able right. to say to an audience like we were trying to figure this thing out. We actually have an episode coming out um, in a few weeks where there is something where we talk about it and we're like, we cannot figure out the science behind this. We've list- we've reached out to this chemist and this geologist and this person and we don't know. Does anyone know? Please contact us. So like, I guess, you know, this is a, a great time of I think reflection for all journalists, all communicators to think about things that they could have done maybe better and things that they want to now carry on, carry with them with their work that they do from here on out. No, and that, and that, that's exactly in the spirit that I asked the question, I think. 
I think kind of related to that, I think I've been thinking a lot about, um, and actually it's kind of two things that are closely related. One is like, just like, what is the value or what is the point of expertise? Because especially my mm. memory of like the early COVID days were basically 50 different experts giving things that feel very contradictory, but it's because a lot of their expertise is in something narrow. And so one of the challenges is how do we actually integrate these different areas of expertise to be able mm. to create something that is useful, both like as something like maybe on a public policy level, but also something that is something we can communicate to people, something that we can um, give to people in through whatever message and also understanding that sometimes messages have to come in different ways. And then related to that, mm -hmm. I think a thing I've been thinking a lot about in terms of how I approach writing or like kind of, I don't know what I want science communication or writing to be about is um, sometimes more about helping people understand different ways of thinking rather than necessarily having specific um, bits of knowledge. I think like it's, mm -hmm. it's really exciting to learn specific things, but I've had to spend the past year or two, like partly because of COVID and then also just like dealing with other things of like just understanding the way that I think about the world around me, how I put different pieces of information together, what kind of stories I want to be true and how does that affect the way that I take in, in, take in information, whether that's like on mm -hmm. social media or like something more long form. I've I've had to like kind of process that for myself. And so I've just been thinking about then like how, mm. like obviously I can't, I can't do that like wholesale through my writing, but is that something I can accomplish through different projects that I have? Deboki, I love how you said that about like, am I interpreting this in a certain way because I want this story to be true? And it's, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. I think also just thinking about the stories about people, especially, I think that a lot of uh, the racism reckoning that was going on in our country it got a lot of people talking, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic and through now. And mm. I think it had people talking a lot about who is telling what stories and like, yeah. when is it appropriate for one person to be telling a story versus another person to be telling the story? Like, mm -hmm. what gives you the right to tell this person's story? Yeah. Who are you interviewing about a topic? I mean, it can be something just kind of thinking about um, like within the scientific academic space, right? I think a lot of times people deferring to older, whiter, <laughs> usually mm -hmm. male, <laughs> like to, to yeah. um, talk about things and really not give any of the um, spotlight, which uh, to people who are younger, um, who are underrepresented in that field. Yep. And that has an impact. It it means that, you know, being able to feature someone in something, that's something they can put on a grant. That's something that they can put when they right. are applying to become a professor somewhere. That's, I mean, it's also just a nice thing to be able to say, look, there's a person who looks like you that is doing this really cool thing and succeeding. And there's so much value in that as well. And so I think you know, I'm not being very succinct here because I'm forming these thoughts as I'm speaking, but like I think no, no, it's, it's good. I think for me at least it's it's been an opportunity where I've had to do a lot of self-reflection in like who am I talking to about different stories? Is this the right person to be talking to? Should I even be the one talking to them? And then also mm. who do I want to highlight? Who is never in the limelight that absolutely should be? Because I think that's a really good thing to to be asking, whether it's um, you know, a, a massive organization that has or like a brand new documentary that's coming out or something, or it's a mm. tiny podcast like Tiny Matters where we're thinking about who we want to interview for an episode. So I think it's just yeah. it can be really small scale like with us, but it 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 goes much bigger. Did any of that make sense? <laughs> no, it totally yeah. did. It totally did. And I, I do think it, it, it and that is a kind of a pretty like sort of I feel like even from my limited time in this field, like a pretty seismic shift where it, like when we started, it was like. Oh, okay, just get whatever right. seismologist. Like you, all you need is a seismologist, and it's like, okay, who are we going to get? And then pe what people would do is like they would just be like, okay, like let's look at another story that some another exactly. you know media outlet did, and they oh they quoted this person. Okay, just call that person. Yep. Great. Okay, good. We got the person. Who cares? It's locked. Like, um, and that and now it's like a, a very much. There's so many other layers to it, and there's so many that like that conversation is so much more, um. Yeah, it's like is like delicate. It's like who do we get to talk on this? Who's who has already talked about it? What have they said? How did they how did they come across? Like, oh, is there another stakeholder here that we didn't Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like it's 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 so much more complicated. Right. Um and to your to your point about like you could help in their tenure review or whatever. 
literally a day or two ago, um, we asked uh, an expert um, who is a young like immigrant, um, and she was like, um, "If oh, she's like, oh, please let me know all about this because um, being on uh, like getting media exposure." it's like far more important to my immigration application than the fact that I got my PhD from Yale or whatever it is. Like, it's like, Oh, the fact that like, I, I am actually like sort of out there speaking for the field. It like means way more, um, to whether I get to stay in this country wow. or not. Uh, and I was like, Whoa, yeah. I, that's like a lot of pressure. We don't know if we're going to use this interview or not, but, um, but still, uh, it's, yeah, you realize that it's like, Oh, uh, like these aren't just neutral choices. Yeah. Like, these are choices that have kind of high stakes for, for, for a lot of different reasons bigger consequences than I think people realized. And I'm yeah. one of those people who didn't realize it as much. And I feel yeah. grateful, I guess, that these conversations are coming up when I am still very new in this field so that hopefully, you know, I, I mean, I know that I will continue to do this, but then hopefully I also encourage others as I move up the, I don't know, or move forward. I don't know if there's a moving up, moving forward, whatever it may be. And there's people who are asking me Tiny questions. Tiny matters. Then there's going to be a show, Big Matters. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's going to show, Great Matters. Right. And then there's going to be a show, Epic, Enormous yeah, Matters. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, um, that's a great question, though. That's a great question. Yeah, I'm, I was yeah. really curious if you had, I'm, I mean, again, I'm going backwards to your history of science background, but I was thinking about that because it's, mm -hmm. I've had times where I'm researching something, um, usually like something kind of like history of microbiology for stuff I'm working on and mm -hmm. like have gotten sure. like deep enough where I'm like, oh, I've hit the Nazis. Like we've gotten to the Nazi part yeah, of this story. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I always sure. have this anxiety, like of if I research the scientists, are they going to turn out to have been a eugenicist in some way, like <laughs> trying to figure that out. And then, yeah. but like, we even see it today, right. Where in, in history, like the connection between how we document science and something like nationalism, like there's just all of these other factors that impact the science as it's done then but then also how it's recorded yeah i mean that's it's just true like i i, I think i, I don't want to defame the man but i think luther burbank might have been a eugenicist um history is what it was and you have to kind of take it for its complexity uh and you kind of have to trust that people are grown up enough that they can kind of parse that um both that it was a different time and that they're allowed to have their judgments of whatever they make. And, 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 you know, you can still learn about the, the story, like, like whether or not you agree with this person, like this, the, the things I told you are facts and they, they are true. And that person then, then did go on to discover this thing that then, you know, um, and and sure, there's like a lot of different ways to tell that story from the from the lab assistant's perspective, from the person who's getting the shot and the, you know, is the like unwitting clinical trial uh, guinea pig, you know, or is the this thing or is the that thing? like there's a lot of ways to tell these stories. But um, and 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 it's important to try to kind of break the break the mold in a way uh, of the way that it's always often told. But but at the same time, like you kind of just have to. You have to be. You have to have a higher threshold of complexity than I think a lot of people wish uh, or have, mm -hmm. uh, or want to have, um, or want their stories to have. Uh, and I, I think that's like that's just that's just how it is. Like, uh, and and yeah, like we 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 did a story not so long ago about Helen Keller, uh, who is one of these people, like who's like an amazing, incredible pioneer, uh, who is like an exemplar. But also very complicated figure who had like a lot of um, who both both her iconic status and her like eugenic views mm -hmm. basically make her this really complicated person. And and to have that story reported uh, in part by like uh, or, or to have the major voice on that story be a deafblind person um, like it, it enriches it. It makes it so much more interesting. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know, it unlocks all this history that you that you know reading about helen keller in a high school history textbook or something you, you don't get that like level of richness and um and so to me i yeah i don't know i think that you dive back and then the, and then things get complicated and then it's like okay great like <laughs> let's like great they get complicated it's not like oh they get complicated yeah. we can't tell this story anymore this is like a you know this is like a radioactive story that we can't go near no it's like no it's, it's 
life is complicated. Everybody's complicated. And, and yeah, and, and stories are complicated. And, and in fact, that makes them more interesting, I think, not less. I agree with that. And I was I would also say that, like, when I think of a show that does a really good job of not acting like the thing they're talking about operates in a vacuum, it's Radiolab. And mm. with science in particular, like, just because, you know, we're a science podcast. Yeah. That's something that Deboki and I, I think, have tried our best within that 25 minute, you know, time limit to really be able to address things that are not the cut and dry. This is a thing that causes this thing that was discovered by this person. Okay, let's yeah. let you know on to the next one. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, um, yeah, I was just going to say, like, I appreciate that you and your colleagues work so hard to move away from that, like vacuum model, because that's not real life. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. And it's and and if it even if it was like the, telling that same story over and over again, it gets super boring. So boring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, so lots of uh, other than <laughs> the many things that you do, like, are there other things that um, if you are not in front of a camera, if you are not behind a microphone, if you are not deep in uh, in a museum's archives, uh what do you do for fun? What are your, uh, what are uh, you do? Man, I don't know. I mean, I have kids now, so I just do really dumb kid things. That can be very fun, though. Oh, yeah. Super fun. Um, dance parties. <laughs> oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, like impromptu dance parties and stuff. I don't know. There's the, like, yeah, I feel like I'm, uh, I, I, I like to read. I like to like, just like, as I said, like noodle around wikipedia i'm trying to like bike mm -hmm. more hmm. uh i i don't know i'm like trying to be a full human being but i'm like too obsessive <laughs> to be a like a well-rounded balanced human being yeah so i i end up like just i just like yeah i'm like a workaholic and i yeah uh, i like the thing i do and i just constantly do it which is like not healthy in the long term, but it's like very satisfying <laughs> in the short term. I feel this. Like I feel this very strongly where uh, <laughs> like my husband will say, um, you need to uh, like if I have free time, I'll be like, oh, well, I have this time to do. And he's like, you cannot fill. You cannot say that it's your relaxed <laughs> time if you fill it with a thing that is ultimately like you trying to produce something else. Like right. this is not right. how it That's works. Because he works so hard, but he's so good when he has those moments to just yeah. like he can shut it down and i mm. i cannot where he'll like go up to me and put his hand on my head and be like turn <laughs> off, <laughs> like, turn off. <laughs> i think i've had that exact same conversation <laughs> with my partner yeah that's good it's good to have that it's good to have that human being next to you who could do that yes uh, i think that's really good yeah. And uh, my wife does that too. She's also, I mean, she's in her own way a workaholic, but she also, she she's much better at doing that than I am. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a, that's an important ability. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That I do not have uh, and <laughs> nope. that I need to develop. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're all like uh, preaching to the choir here. Like, uh, you know, lots <laughs> if Boki and I, you just, we're, we're all like, Completely. do you work constantly? Yeah, but you kind of <laughs> like it. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, exactly. There's something sort of masochistic about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, on that note, maybe because it's a Friday. <laughs> on a note of masochism. Right, yeah, right. Wrap, wrap, wrap this. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> oh, that wasn't what I was going for. I was going to say on that note of uh, of uh, we work too much. Maybe it's a it's a yeah. Friday. We can uh, great close great point. <laughs> it's actually supposed to be a holiday. Yeah, you're right. Oh, right. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh. So um, maybe not in Norway. So you're off the hook. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was so fun. Always talking with you, Latif, is just so, so fun. Pleasure is mine. Uh, and uh, and your show is great. And good luck with it. Thank, Thank you. you. Much appreciated. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Tiny Matters, a production of the American Chemical Society, a nonprofit scientific organization based in Washington, D.C. Thanks so much to Latif Nasser for joining us. If you have thoughts, questions, ideas about future Tiny Matters episodes, send us an email at tinymatters@acs.org. Have a wonderful, safe end to 2022. We'll see you in 2023.